Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, one of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for real people, real topics, real talk. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday edition of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. This is your host, Alicia Brown. And as we promised you for the month of July, we're taking a break from live show broadcasting. What we have prepared for you is some of our most memorable as well as funniest moments with season one. But I ask that you brace yourself, because the Season 2 premiere will start in the month of August. And we are starting off with the bang. Will and I will have our show entitled Confessions, where we will share at least one of our deepest, darkest secrets. And trust me, you're going to want to tune in for that. So continue to listen. Continue to tune in, and we'll see you in Season 2. Happy Sunday, everyone. March the 1st, 2015. Welcome to another show. How are you doing, Alicia? I can't complain. How are you? Uh, you hear my voice, don't you? <laughs> they got me again. They got me again. Uh-oh. I have to find a new line of work or something. Yes. Yeah, so my whole house is sick right now. Um, can't wait till this weather changes, you know, snowed all last week. Um, we were probably open just a couple of days because uh, the snow was really bad. We had like eight inches. So, exactly. Yeah, eight, eight inches, and it was um, it was terrible. So needless to say, I'm, I'm stuck with a cold right now. I'm leaving tomorrow morning to go to Washington, D.C. to talk to Congress and some of their staff on their health committees to try to get yeah. some new legislation passed for kidney disease. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Your weekend was pretty good? I can't complain. I really cannot complain. I was actually able to get out of the house. <laughs> I know. That was a good thing. <laughs> Did you go to church today? You know, I was able to get out of the house to have our church anniversary last night, came mm-hmm. to the driveway and could not get the car. The car was stuck. Oh. But I did live stream it, so I got my okay. service. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. Well, we have a great show. I just want to tell everybody that we have a new segment. Actually, beginning today, uh, we have a couple of new segments starting up today. Alicia Brown is going to start her first segment today. And then next Sunday, we have our own Donnell Lattimore who's going to do his segment. And I've already actually done my segment in January, but I'm going to do um, the second part um, on the 15th, I believe. Um, All right. I want to talk, talk to you a little bit about the new thing that we have going on our website. Our website, as you know, is forever growing. I'm always adding new ways that people can get interactive. Um, yeah. If you don't know that, um, let's face it, radio.com, you can go on there now. You can also um, chat live with me if you want to ask any questions while we're talking to our guest today. If you have any questions, you can go on, and there's a, a way that you can chat with the host. Um, so feel free, you can chat through there or you can chat through our Facebook page. But we just added a new feature, it's called Our Five Cents. And that's because between the four of us, we have so much knowledge um, and experience 
that we can offer. So um, we already have one person that we're just saying that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But anything from love and relationships to fashion and lifestyle management, anything. Similar yes. to, I guess you would say, like the Dear Abby column. Um, we have a page. It's called Our Five Cents. And um, you can just go up there, leave a message, and we're going to – I, I go through them all the time. Um, if anything particularly piques our interest, um, we'll notify you and we'll answer it right here on the show. So you can go to the website, letsfaceitradio.com, and let's see what you have. The one that we chose today actually um, kind of coincides with the topic for our show today, which is power of forgiveness. Um, Alicia actually found our guest has a remarkable, remarkable story um, awesome. to hear about in just a little bit. I know. Wow. Um, but I, I want to read the letter that the person, I don't know if it's a male, male or female, um, but I'll read it. It says, Dear host, I was bullied from second grade all through school. In junior high, the abuse was both physical and emotional, and it happened on a daily basis. Oh. My parents' response was that maybe I was the problem. I'm going to read that again. My oh. parents' response was that maybe I was the problem. And if I wasn't, people would stop picking on me. What in the world? Exactly. That's the letter for another day. Um, what, would have, what would have been my 10-year high school reunion was two weeks ago. Needless to say, I didn't go. Since the reunion, however, I have received more than 30 messages via Facebook from former classmates. It seemed I was the main topic of the conversation at the reunion, mainly because everyone apparently wanted to apologize to me. I don't know how to respond to these people. While I don't doubt their sincerity of their apologies, I truly don't want to have any contact with them, even on Facebook. At the same time, I don't want to be rude and just ignore them. So far, I haven't replied to any of their messages. I want to, I want to know if I must, and if so, what I should say. To be honest, I like to tell them all to go to hell, but I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> Sign lost for words. Woo! Huh. That's a big one. <clears throat> That's big. What would you say? Oh, I want to hear what you would say. <laughs> um. Well, you know, there's two different sides to me. I'm a Taurus the bull, so I have two different. I have a nice side and I have a side when you really tick me off. So I really yeah, don't I know. That's why we get along. <laughs> um, being that this is ten years later. Uh. I mean, cause, I mean, I would like I said. In high school, I was really quiet. I really didn't even have – I had maybe two friends in high school. I was an introvert in high school. So um, this actually could have been me. It's not me, but it could have been me. Um, and I have people now that um, reach out to me through Facebook, um, and I, I'll accept their friend request. Um, it's just, you know, you have to move beyond it. Um, the big thing about forgiveness that I've had to learn from myself in all my situations, um, because the, the earlier me, the younger me, probably would have cut them out, gave them a, a few other words than what she said, told them to go to hell. Okay. But as I've gotten older and matured, um, I, I, I've learned the necessity for forgiveness because it's really not about them. Yeah. Um, and it's not even about letting them off easy um, or excusing what they did. Forgiveness is really about you. It's about um, resolving the matter Ooh. for yourself because harboring that bitter resentment will actually eat you alive. It will yes, raise Lord. your blood pressure. Um, not to not to mention what it do for you um, spiritually. Yeah. So, um, able to say, you know, I forgive you. I don't necessarily have to deal with you anymore. Which um, I wouldn't even, if, if if they're not even to the point where they can move beyond it. I wouldn't have even accepted their um, 
friend friend request. Oh. A lot of people sitting over my my Facebook waiting for me to you know enter approve or accept. Oh, um, who I have I have no no plan on doing so um, because you know whether or not I forgive you or not that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I plan to continue a relation with you in the future. Because oh. um, like I said, that's purely for myself. I'm being selfish in that point. I'm forgiving you because I need to get this weight off my shoulders. Okay. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say. Okay. Well, you know I agree with a lot of what you said. But my thing is, Mr. and Mrs. Dear Lost for Words, what I want to ask is, are you good with you? And are you good yeah. at what, about what happened to you? Yeah. Um, like you said, both of us have similar stories. It could have been us writing this letter. But my right. thing is, you know, forgiveness is something that you do for yourself. It's not really about that person. Um, because if you're holding those seeds of unforgiveness, then that means that you are liable for whatever those seeds will produce, whatever exactly. fruit they produce in your life. So you don't want to harbor that. And just the question that you're asking, it, it, it's so much, seems like an underlying um, theme here. You know, you have the issues with your parents that blamed you. Like you said, that's a whole other letter. Then you have the issue with these people that were your classmates. Here's the thing I feel about that. It's been 10 years since these people have seen you or had contact with you. Mm-hmm. Now I understand, you know, it might be a few people. But you can't tell me that over 30-something people have never thought about what they did to you all those years, never wanted to make amends and apologize to you before the reunion, and now that they came together, you were the topic of conversation, and everybody wants to reach out on Facebook and say they're sorry. Uh My thing is what it really is, your absence (coughs) and your silence is sending a message. And that message is that you've moved on, and you're not really concerned about them. For some people, that's a problem because they have something to prove. And, you know, you were waiting for this person to come to the reunion so you could say you're sorry. Mm -hmm. Why do they have to be the one to come to you to get the apology that you owe them? So, you know, as I always say with things, pray, ask God to guide you. But make sure that whatever decision you make is one that you can live one, one you can live with. Because if you feel like you don't want any association with them, you don't want anything to do with them, then I think depending on what your answer is, you're going to agonize over that decision because you're just doing something because you think it's the thing to do to be nice. So it's always pray. You might give a response like, you know, thank you, God bless you, and leave it at that. Um, But you're never obligated. You know, like you said, I have plenty of people on Facebook that request me, but it's Facebook. It's a friend request. I don't have to accept that because you right. share a lot on social media. I don't want you to know everything about my business, and that's probably why we're not still connected. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Go with God oh, and go man. with your heart, but be authentic. Yeah. Well said, Alicia. Good. You know I always have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have our guest, Mr. Frederick Allman. Um, So you're listening to Let's Face It. When you're ready to lose weight, why count, track, and worry over every meal? Jenny Craig makes it simple. Just walk into a neighborhood Jenny Craig center or give us a call. You'll meet your dedicated personal consultant who helps you reach your goals. 
Together, you'll pick out delicious Jenny Craig foods that you'll love and design a menu that fits your life. And the best part is that you can get started losing weight right away. Don't wait any longer to take advantage of our best offer ever. Call 1-800-JENNY-20 or visit JennyCraig.com. Members following our program on average lose 1 to 2 pounds per week. Offer ends on 329.15. Restrictions apply. Are you looking for a reputable company that offers human resource consulting services, workshops, and speakers for individuals and organizations? Give Miss PDW Enterprises a try. PDW topics cover building your personal brand, job seeker preparation, and business planning workshops. Visit their website at www.misspdwenterprises.com. Welcome back to Let's Face It on the Survival Radio Network. Our guest this evening experienced the absolute most horrific act that you could possibly possibly ever imagine, but he survived. At the age 11, really the unimaginable, I can't even think of anything worse, occurred to him that really totally changed his life forever. And he's here now to share his testimony and how he learned the power of forgiveness. Help me welcome to the show. Mr. Frederick Allman. Welcome to the show, Frederick. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well, well, well. <clears throat> so, I just wanted to get into the interview. I was looking over your videos. Um, I read your website. I read your bio. Horrific, horrific. Um, so, the sequel to your first book, I know that you have um, two books out, Scarred for Life, you were Staff 39 times and forgave. Please, please tell us exactly what happened. Share your testimony um, and how you had to learn the power to forgive. Well, in 1990, uh, well, 1984, on uh, Labor Day weekend, um, a few months before that, that time period, we had just moved to our first house. We never really had our own house. And it was my mother and I, and I had my first room, and so things were looking up, and we had got our first house through Section 8. And so anyway, I remember as I was um, um, waiting for the, the new school year coming up, um, we had a great celebration of a Labor Day weekend celebration. And so after that day or that night, I'm in the, um, went to bed, and I was excited to go to school. So I fell asleep, and um, in the, during that night, I heard my mother screaming, and so oh. I jumped up, ran in the room, and there was somebody stabbing my mother. And oh. so I didn't know what to do but screamed out, uh, Jesus, and he came running after me, and um, he swung his knife a few times. My mom jumped on him, and then they kept fighting. I ran in my room in the closet, and I didn't know what to do. And I heard my mother screaming. I heard things breaking and shattering and so forth. I kept praying, and, God, I don't want to die. I want to live. I don't want to die. And eventually I had enough uh, courage to go try to get help. So there, by this time, they're in the living room or dining room area, and so I try to sneak to the phone. And so when I get to the phone, without him noticing me, I try to call my family that lived about a couple blocks away. But every time I tried, the phone did not. Um, I could not get a reception. And so by the third third time, burglar saw me, and he started to uh, he started stabbing me. 
and he stabbed me until I until I couldn't move anymore, feel any of the stabbing. And, oh my God! But uh, but um, and so I laid there alive, hearing everything with my eyes open as if I was dead. And so, mm. um, I heard my mother talk to him and and try to uh, reason with him. Just take anything you want. Just let me and my son go. And that just made him more mad. And and I literally watched him because uh, we was in the living room. I was on one side. She was on the other side. I watched him take my mother's life away. And wow. and he and he continued to stab her even after the fact. I guess just the adrenaline. After he left, you know, he took the valuables. Before he left, he seen my eyes open. He kneeled down, took his knife, cut me on my face to see if I was going to flinch or anything. I didn't feel that either, but I um, I didn't see who he was, and then he left. And um, oh. and so later on, uh, after I'm there at home by myself, um, two voices came. One was a negative voice, and it said, just go to sleep. Your life is over. Oh. And so um, I began to fall asleep. Then another voice came, and it said, get up. And I just listened. I, I wanted to get up. And so I got up, and his voice was with me the, the rest of the way, and it was like me talking to you on the phone. And his voice told me to go get help. And uh, I had enough strength. Mind you, I was stabbed in the neck, back, different places on my body. But I had enough strength to get up and walk about two houses down to get help. And because this was in a bad neighborhood, they noticed that, they, you know, I was uh, hurt. And they called the ambulance. When I went to the doctor, well, after coming out of surgery, I woke up. And the doctor and the, um, the uh, policeman are talking, and they said that I was going to die in a couple hours. Mm. And so I, I refused to believe what they said. And so, so to make a long story short, they said that I wasn't going to talk anymore. They said I wouldn't walk anymore. And, of course, they said I wouldn't live anymore. But they couldn't believe what was happening. They began to call me the miracle child. And so as years later, you know, after things started to get normal again, I um, had a whole bunch of bitterness toward God, toward my own life, toward people, everybody. And so so for four years I was very bitter, and I almost – I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know how to overcome these different things. And so I had, um, I pretty much just gave hope I was going to run away that day, got into a big fight, was going to go to juvenile detention. But things worked out. My aunt let me go stay with my brother, and he was in church. I started going to church, and that really changed my life. And um, uh, about a, about a, a few months in the church, the same voice, and I believe it was God speaking to me. He said, unless you forgive this man, you won't move forward in your life. Mm. And so and so when, when, when I heard that voice, I, I felt so good. I trusted, and I did. I forgave. And through that moment, my life just changed. And it, and, and it was a continual, a continual work, but that was the beginning of the forgiveness process that happened to me. That is, that is amazing. I mean, I just want to stop right there because that's so much to soak in of what happened. And, you know, one of the biggest problems we have in forgiveness 
is that we find it really hard to get over what happened to us and how devastated we feel. And we feel like, you know, we've earned the right to not forgive. Mm-hmm. So in your entire ordeal, for those that would ask, didn't you earn the right to not forgive in everything oh, that happens? Uh, it's a good, good question because, you know, initially, yes, I felt like I had the right. And, you know, um, one thing I did realize that we all make, we all have a choice to choose which one we want, either forgive or not forgive. But what I did was, just like anything else, I looked at the pros and cons of what forgiveness would do for me, what not being forgiven or not forgiving would do for me. The forgiving or the not, let's start with the not forgiving. Not forgiving would cause for me to be bitter, would cause for me, every time I thought about it, to be depressed, discouraged. Society has already said, once you go through a situation like this, you're going to become like that. So I was supposed to be the next murderer. I was supposed to be the next crazy person. I was, I was statistically, the statistics were saying that I was going to be something negative based upon by me not letting this thing go. And this is how yeah. I felt. So so with forgiveness, it was a releasing. It was letting me know that this thing doesn't have power. It is not my it is not my master. I don't I can look at it and face it and I can be something even though I've been scarred. And so my my biggest thing was was through my, my trust and my belief which was in, in Christ was that from what I understood the Bible was that if I trust him enough, then he will turn around everything that I've gone through and make a success out of it. And so I wanted the success. I did not want my mother's life to end as a tragedy. So if if I had to face my situation and let people know and testify over and over again to prove that her death was not a tragedy, then I'm willing to do that. And so that was the reason, the main reason why I was able to forgive. So so, so I let go of that choice of not forgiving because there was no um there there was no there there was no rewards that was that was suitable for me in my life because I want to still live life. Mm-hmm. And you know that that answer really hints to the power in forgiveness. Yeah. But another thing that I'd like to ask you in in that same, just after hearing that testimony, do you have to forget in order to forgive? And if you can't seem to forget what happened, have you truly forgiven? It is impossible to see every day in the mirror. So, So with that said, the concept of forgetting is not realistic. All right. So the main thing is I had to receive, through forgiveness, the strength to say that I'm going to face my reality. And as a matter of fact, by facing it, I'm going to let my reality know that I'm going to draw strength from it versus uh, draw a negative thing out of it. So so I face my testimony or, or my challenge or my scar by being able to produce something positive out of it. And so that's my that that's the way how, how I'm able to get past it. 
you know, a lot of times we don't want to accept the reality of the situation. Yes, it happened. But am I going to just sit there, be down, constantly go back to the past when my life is passing by? I refuse that for me and my family or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it took you a while to probably get to that point where you are today. So I, I, I want to go back a little bit. You said that um, you heard the two voices. So did you grow up in the church? Was your mother? Yeah. Did you, you, you did. No, I did not. Uh, oh, you did not grow up in the church. Okay. No. So wow. as a young boy, as a young boy at age 11, this happening to you, seeing your mother, this happened to your mother at age 11. Did you go through a period where you ran away from God? Yes. Were you mad at God? You were mad at the church? Okay. How long did it take you to to reconcile that? And then what what challenges did you have to get through? Good question. Yeah, um, it it, it took a while. When I got out of the hospital, um, um, the week before this happened, I went to church for, like, the first time for the the reasons of actually going to, to, um, to learn about this thing. And then a week later, this happened. And so my experience of God is like, God, you going to let this happen to me? And I mm-hmm. just allowed you to come into my life? Then, then, then I, honestly, I was like, forget you then. And, and so I hated God for a while, for about four years. And in those four years, I experienced what unforgiveness meant. And I was bitter. I was discouraged. People talked about me. So I mm. talked about my scars. I, I, and, and I would even talk about my own self. I would look at myself, as they say, when people speak things at you, if you don't counterattack it, you will find yourself speaking the same thing to your own self. So I was calling myself stupid, ignorant, all the above. So I never, so I didn't have goals, ambitions, or anything. I thought I was the punishment of being alive. Uh-huh. I wish that my life was over because... Even my family had challenges of looking at me because of the because they seen my mother and they also seen I had a trachea in my neck. I couldn't talk out of my mouth for a little while, and I mean it, it was it was tough. I felt like the ugly duckling, and mm-hmm. and never did I believe that that I could be confident or considered beautiful or anything. I thought I was done. And so for years, after even after I started going to church and when I had my experience, I kind of, and this is what we do, I pretty much I pretty much put that to the side. I try to ignore it. I try to not think about it anymore. And, and so eventually, through the years, it kept coming back. And then I finally realized that there was actual purpose in it. Mm-hmm. Well. What was the recovery like? So you keep mentioning the scars. So you have visible scars that we can see that aren't covered with clothing. Yes, I have scars on the left side that looks like uh, it's teloids on the left side of my face. Um, I have a crooked smile and, you know, and um, I have a couple scars on my arms and so forth. And I have a whole that, 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 uh, you know, in my neck because of the trachea in the, and as well as the surgery that they did. So it was two lines, one on each side of my neck of where they had to do surgery, you know, um, to recover or to heal my body. Wow. 
Oh. Wow, indeed. And you know, to me, your testimony has always been so compelling because I think it just shows that almost in any circumstance, if not in any circumstance, there is always the ability to forgive and there's power in forgiving. There's an incentive when you do forgive and you, you let those things go. But for the listeners out there that are saying, you know, I, I hear your testimony, but you don't know my story, you don't know my pain, I just can't let it go. What resources would you say, in addition to church perhaps, um, what advice would you give them um, in how they can go through their process of healing, um, you know, therapy or, or lawyers and everything that goes in that entire process as you're trying to not only heal but also to seek, I guess, not revenge, but you, you want justice for the person that actually committed this crime. Yes. I mean, uh, honestly, it, it, it's, it's, um, you can go to counselors. You know, of course, you can go to lawyers for all the, the different things like that. But after all of that, unless I follow through what someone tells me, it is not going to do nothing. And, and and so my whole point is, I can talk to many counselors. They can tell me what to do. They can put me on the program and everything else. But unless I actually do something in action, it is not going to do anything. Yeah. And so I would encourage the person to go ahead if you they feel as if they need to go to a counselor or whatever. That I, I would I would encourage them to do that. But the main thing is, we cannot act like it never happened. And you need to be able to talk to somebody that you know is going to be able to understand and be able to give you uh, 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 some type of encouragement that will cause for you to move in a, in a way that it will help your life versus hurt your life. You know, one of the things that was hard for me is that, you know, you know sometimes sometimes even in the Christian church we sometimes – act like that we don't have feelings uh-huh. and and we don't become sad or we don't become dispre- uh, discouraged or depressed. Yes. And and honestly, we do. And so once I realized that, that there's a scripture that says that, 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 that he cares for us. And the thing yes. is, when I understood that, it made me realize that, that, that God cares that when I'm depressed, when I'm sad, and he wants me to let those things out and to let him know that these things, they do hurt. And so, and so those things, you know, I, will, I always tell people, just, just be honest with yourself. And like, like, um, like Mr. Will said, it does take time. It's a every day. Even though I've overcome, I still am overcoming. It's, it, it doesn't stop until I die. Okay. Because, you know, so many, when it, when it becomes that process, they feel like you're supposed to get to a point, and that's yeah. it, everything is good. You know, I can even get to the point where I forget it or repress it, and everything is just happy. But I'm glad you mentioned that there is a process. It's not overnight. You have to go through it, and then it's a continual process. Because yeah. I imagine there are different moments, different things that trigger memories, um, holidays, you're thinking about different times you spent that really must bring back some of the pain and hurt. Yes. But why did you decide to share your testimony? 
Well, like I said earlier, it's it's many reasons, but one of the main reasons, you know, um, I, I know that God kept me alive for a reason, and yeah. and that and that my mother's life means everything to me, and I refuse to live a life of hopelessness. Of with her name in my life, my name in her life, whatever, I refuse to live a hopeless life, and so in that said. My my way of giving back is letting people that have been scarred, hurt, uh, injured, whatever, to let them know, look, I've overcame, and I'm here to set an example so that you can see somebody that's alive right now that have overcame too. And so, and so even though I don't get excited or happy, about telling my life story because it does hurt, hurts even now. But the reason why I do it, it's it's a burning conviction that I am purposed to live to let people know that you can overcome your situation based upon what you decide to do with it. And through his forgiveness, it's caused for me to be a whole different person. Once I forgave, it took a while, but now I have goals, ambitions. I don't consider myself as being ugly. You know, I'm beautiful in the sight of God, and there's yeah. a lot of things that happens. And so I would encourage the person, you know, that, that you can. You can, but it's just going to take some work. Hmm. Right. So you're not a victim, but a victor. Right. All right. right. And at what part? Because I'm trying to get the timeline right. So this happened to you at 11. When did you, because you're a minister today, when did you go into the ministry? Wow. Uh, um, it, it's been about, I was uh, around 20, 21 years old. Okay. So about 11 years after this happened. Yes, sir. Okay. And what are you doing today? Because I know that you have well, a, a phenomenal minister. I was reading your bio. What, what are you doing today? Well, today I am a basketball coach. I also, you know, I'm an um, a elder slash minister at the church that I attend locally. I work on uh, Fort Eustis. I was in the Army, and I'm a, I'm a um, government employee now doing the same stuff, uh, HR supervisor. I also have I'm an author, and I just try to help out in the community as much as I can. Awesome. So God just really expanded your platform so that in every yeah. capacity in which you work, you're always helping somebody else. Yes, it's it's, it's part of who I am, I guess. You know, I, I have a amazing. question. I have a question. Did they ever find the person who did this? Yes, good question. Now, they found him the next day. He was 17 years old. He wow. was, he, uh They found him in the emergency room because... He had injured himself from the from the attack of what he did to us. Yeah, and uh, the reason of the reason why he did it, he said that he was having a bad day. Wow. Was he under the influence or something? Did they say? Um, they said it was drug drug related. Uh huh. The high on PSP, I believe, or. Oh my God. Wow. And what was his punishment? His punishment was uh, 
I think it was 17 years to life, and uh, he has not he has not been released because it's been over 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's still in. Wow. wow. Well, you know, we could go on and on about this because, like you said, you have two books, and our listeners are going to want to know exactly how they can hear more, how they can read the books, where do they get the books, and how can they get in contact with you. Yes, um, the the easiest way is my website. It's www.scarredtolive.com, or they can even call me. Um, I'll put my number at 757-846-7148, and um, those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Okay. And I'm also on Facebook as well. I'm sorry. I'll go ahead and list those on our website as well for you. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Frederick, for sharing your testimony um, and, and teaching us how we can learn the power of forgiveness. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. When you're ready to lose weight, why count, track, and worry over every meal? Jenny Craig makes it simple. Just walk into a neighborhood Jenny Craig center or give us a call. You'll meet your dedicated personal consultant who helps you reach your goals. Together, you'll pick out delicious Jenny Craig foods that you'll love and design a menu that fits your life. And the best part is that you can get started losing weight right away. Don't wait any longer to take advantage of our best offer ever. Call 1-800-JENNY-20 or visit JennyCraig.com. Members following our program on average lose 1 to 2 pounds per week. Offer ends on 329.15. Restrictions apply. Are you looking for a reputable company that offers human resource consulting services, workshops, and speakers for individuals and organizations? Give Miss PDW Enterprises a try. PDW topics cover building your personal brand, job seeker preparation, and business planning workshops. Visit their website at www.misspdwenterprises.com or give them a call at 678-360-4112. Miss PDW Enterprises, LLC, where engagement is key. Be sure to let them know SRN sent you. This is my first guest tonight. She experienced the unthinkable from the age of age eight. And she's here to share her story, and to hopefully be a beacon of light for someone who may be coming up in similar circumstances. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. We finally get to speak. We've been communicating through email. But um, I'm so glad that you are, number one, brave enough to come forward with your story. And I know that you are in hopes of starting a nonprofit. I've done quite a little bit of research on you, and um, I see that I believe we share the same favorite Bible verse. Is yours Jeremiah 29 and 11? <laughs> Absolutely. 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 God is... Go ahead. That is my favorite all-time Bible verse. I love that Bible verse. Amen. And, yes, and for those of you who don't know it, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Cheryl, why is it your favorite? Because it was something that I could hold on to um, in the middle of, in the midst of me transitioning from just simply being a natural-born woman who's suffering through the memories of addiction and the memories of the abuse 
to someone who's born again and actually had something to hold on that wouldn't let me go. And God gave me that verse, and I stood on it, and I still stand on it today, actually. And so um, that's why it's my favorite, because it never failed me. It, it gives me something to look forward to, and it gives me something to give away. I can give away. Isn't that an amazing promise? Amen. Yes, it is. <laughs> now, just so that we can catch our um, listeners up, you endured the unthinkable violations, and from what I understand from someone very close, from the age of age three. So can you, speaking from your inner child, from the vantage point of a third person, speaking about, can you speak to us about the experience and the challenges that she, your younger self, experienced? Absolutely. Well, you know, coming into this world all innocent and pure, you come into a, a world where fairy tales are truly real. And coming up with a mother and a father who loved me um, unconditionally and reared us to love God, we just simply carried this grace, and then the unthinkable happened. The Lord, um, my father went to see the Lord uh, the day before my birthday, actually. It was um, September the 9th. My birthday was September the 10th. And that was devastating to a six-year-old turning seven, and I didn't understand the premise of what I had done. I had taken it on the inside of it being me that the reason the Lord had taken my daddy. And in dealing with those emotions or not dealing with them very much, so my mom reached out. She reached out to the nearest man that she had in, in our lives, and that was our uncles, and we loved them, and we still love them today, you know. Um, and he then had his own troubles, extended um, the sickness that was seated in him, and he mm-hmm. bored to molest me as a child, in which I kept that secret. It was a family secret for a long time. I, I told no one. I, and... Um, not even it your mother. Was, not even my mother. My mother, I didn't tell her until many, many years later. I, I was 18 years old when I told her of the horror that I lived through, and my uncle was already passed away by then. So it was quite devastating, absolutely. And she, the inner child, she suffered from the vantage point of isolation. Absolutely, mm. fear was my first drug. It was my first friend. It was my first advocate. You know, it hid me. It kept me abreast uh, and away from people that I didn't have to share or tear anything because it was always there. Mm. Fear wrapped me up and slept with me at night, and it woke me up, and it acted as if we were going to play and have playtime, but then that transitioned and turned into tragedy. Wow. And it just happened to have the face of someone that said they loved me on it. Exactly. exactly. And I know you said that your uncle was someone that you loved, but you also trust that person. So you Absolutely. didn't expect this to happen, yeah. So now into your adulthood, I'm sure it's had some type of effect on how you're able to maintain relationships or form relationships. Now? Yes, absolutely. In the, early, in the earlier, young, younger years, as I was coming through high school and all of that, that energy that I didn't get to dispel by telling him um, how horrible I felt and what he had done and, and actually received the apology that I felt that I deserved, I then gained this victim in, this victimized personality. Everything was against me. Everyone was against me. And I carried that on. And it came out in various forms. 
And so developing relationships was quite difficult. It was quite difficult to look into the faces of my sister and my brothers and be able to be forthright because no one knew this horror. No one could see the ugly, but it felt as if I was walking around with mud on my face. Mm. All, All of my life I felt as if I was always muddy. And so I acted muddy. My attitude was muddy. My 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 conduct, the way that I spoke to individuals, I was bitter from the inside out. And that bitterness then spawned and spewed through those that were closest to me, attempting their best to love me and yet not understanding what it was about me that made things so difficult to be in my space. You had your guard up, pretty much. Absolutely. I mean, it was beyond, you know what, well, it was so beyond guard. It was, it was, I was the prey for so long. I then decided that I was going to be the predator. Mm. I was going to get back at those who, who had, they had nothing to do with it. I didn't know that then in my victim mind. In my victim, everybody was. Exactly. And so I carried that on for a number of years. So establishing relationships was very hard. I mean, I I even bore children in the midst of this mess. And God is so gracious. His grace is sufficient for it carried me through this journey. And now you're moving forward. Now you're helping other people who may be in similar situations. So that brings me to my next question, actually, because you – you say that you tried to commit suicide three times. Absolutely. Three times. My first my yeah. first attempt, I was at 13 years old. Mm-hmm. I was in New York City. My mom had come home and found me all distraught. She, is, by the grace of God, is a, a nurse, and so she mm-hmm. lived in the medical field. She understood the symptoms. She she acted effectively, and, and that so I'm still here. And then again and again I attempted, and each time failing at it, not realizing what in the world, I can't even get this right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know why. You know why I, you were kept, right? I do now. I do you now. do now, absolutely. I do now. Absolutely. A friend told me that he had tried to commit suicide, and God told him that if he did do it, he would not succeed, and he would bear the scars to remember. Mm, so yes. I'm sure, yeah. Yes, so God what, kept you here for a purpose. He kept purpose. me. He kept yes. me. He kept me because on the inside, I didn't realize that that was the training grounds. Exactly. That was the training yes. grounds. My, yes, my life's journey was going to be told, and it was going to be showed because of my desire to be so transparent, because I was silent. For many, many years, I do realize that I am the voice for the silent one today. Mm-hmm. I am the right. voice to let them know that they can actually speak through me and speak to Amazing. me. Amazing. And so, so I'm that's curious, what, uh, what were you saying? No, I was just saying that's what I do now. Go for it. So, uh, regarding your abuse, are you able to, to trace the progression of the abuse and how it's impacted your life Absolutely. up until now? Because I know right now you're in a much better place. 
Oh, yes. Oh, I'm healthy yeah. and whole today. But mm-hmm. tracing the abuse started again from those those young years when he began to abuse me. My mother was such a socialite. She had everyone loves her, and they, they even love her today. And she used to have these card parties, and they were just supposed to stay for one day. And it just mm-hmm. so happened that they would go over the entire weekend. She was a, she would cook, and they would play cards, and they would drink. And my brothers and sisters and cousins and all of us, we would be, the kids would be in the back. But they would get so out of mind or just lose uh, comprehension of their drinks, that's where it started. So we used to sneak from, from the back room and grab their drinks and see who could get the drunk quickest. <laughs> And, you know, and, you know, it was just, that's where it started. And so once it began there, then then um, it progressed and it went to when I began, when I was 13, just as I was, um, right after the suicide attempt, I mm-hmm. I used to hate chocolate. I hated chocolate. And mm-hmm. my mother came home one day and I was. Hello, Cheryl? Okay, Cheryl got disconnected. She will be right back on the line. But we're talking to Miss Cheryl O'Neill, who has basically been through hell and back. At a very early age, age she was molested by her mother, by her uncle, after the death of her father, who um, was very dear to her. And pretty much the abuse has followed her throughout her life. She's in a much better place now. Um, in my research about Cheryl, I just found out that she is a motivational speaker and she travels to help other young women who have found themselves in, in situations of abuse, uh, molestation, um, drug abuse, and, and um, alcohol abuse, which I'm sure she's going to talk about when she comes back on the line. But just to move forward, next week, um, a lot of people don't know that October, of course, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But October is also Domestic Violence Month, um, and sometimes it does go um, kind of kind of get swept to the side with the awareness of um, breast breast cancer. Um, Cheryl is back. Welcome back, Cheryl. Hello. I apologize. No, no problem. No problem. <laughs> it happens. But, okay. Um, I'm a little curious. Now you said that you you kept this in, and then you had changes in your personality. No one else in your family was. Uh, offended by your uncle, was violated by your uncle, none of your siblings, or um, you know, you know, no. As I as as I um, went through the years, I you know there was a discussion never even really occurred between my brother and I. He was the only other prospect that it possibly could have occurred to, but. Uh, I've heard nothing from him on that aspect. Um, so as far as I'm, as far as I know, I am the hmm. only victim. Hmm. I am the only victim in the family um, that I know of. But again, you know, as I trace this progression from mm-hmm. alcohol to marijuana to from that from marijuana, I then went into the military and I discovered cocaine, and then I went from cocaine and I just discovered crack cocaine. And this progression is just—it always reached a point to where I would say I would never do that. You know, we always get to those yeah. points where, yeah, we have those boundaries, but we exactly. easily lay those lay those to the side when there's so much despair, there's so much you don't deal with, and that's mm-hmm. where 
you come to understand the mindset of those that are still suffering. Mm-hmm. You're still suffering when you are unable to communicate effectively, when you're still needing to reach out and have some type of imbalance, something to imbalance your the place where you are. You can stand strong in a mighty wind when you're sober-minded. But when you're weak and when you're, when you're lost and you're alone and you're afraid, you always seem to run to these, these side things that make you feel as if temporarily at least that's going to be enough. It's a lie. It's a lie that I'm trying to perpetuate to the, to the people and the young adults that I get to speak to today. It's a lie. It teases you and it tells you and it it tells you at the very beginning, oh, all things are fun. Oh, yeah, this is fun. Let's play with this cocaine. Let's play with this marijuana. Let's play with this methamphetamine. And then when it plays back, baby, it leaves you. It leaves you blanket. It leaves you alone. It leaves you desperate and it leaves you lonely and it spits at you and it rapes you even the more. And that's the story. That's the journey. That's the truth. The truth How is long were that you in that journey? How I long was were in you? The journey. I'm not trying to directly ask your age. I just want to know from age <laughs> eight, how long did you deal with all this pain before I, redemption came, pretty much? Absolutely. I dealt with that pain for 20 plus years. Wow. Yes. And so when redemption hit around the corner, it took jails, institutions, prison and sentences, conversation, priests, exorcisms. Wow. (laughs) But it really. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It took took me. It took me a place where it was with, you know, the Lord, and the Lord stepped in. And he caught to me through a counselor, and a counselor then took me to HBO. And his story carried my story there, and then they then carried my story to Miss Winfrey, who had a similar story. Yes, yes. And, Mm -hmm. and, And I knew it was the Lord, because a girl from my background, no way. No way will it be possible for me to go from crack cocaine to a castle. No way mm-hmm. would it be possible for me to go from pitiful to powerful. Exactly. But I made a decision, and that's all that needs to be done. One decision away from changing your own life. Right. Right. I've always wanted no, no. to change. I'm sorry. I've always no, okay. one second. I always wanted to mm-hmm. change the world. And I always wanted to change my uncle and my mother and my sisters and my brothers. But I didn't realize they would not change. How can I do this, Lord? Tell me what to do. And he told me one simple, go in the mirror. Change that girl. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Once you change yourself, you can change the circumstances around you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, yes. Yes. So I know um, in my research, when you were on the Oprah Winfrey Show, I believe it was titled, Why Can't They Stop? Um, yes. You stated that you realized then that fear was your first drug. Yes. Yes, fear. absolutely. Fear was my first drug. 
it was my best friend. As I spoke to you before, you know, I mm-hmm. I, I I now release myself through various forms of writing and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones I've told, it was about my story of never been, what I've never been, places I've never been. And if you may, I've never been unafraid. See, my best friend was fear. She mm-hmm. always wanted me to herself. And, yeah, she told me that she had some friends out there, too. But we can talk about that later. I've never, mm-hmm. been, tr- <laughs> I've never been trusting because I lost that on a brown and a black couch by mm. the many tentacle hands of my uncle, the octopus, mm. over my tender eight-year-old body. Wow. I've never been hopeful. I crushed that the day of September the 9th and on my daddy's death, and I threw hope away on September the 10th when they sang, Happy Birthday to Me. I've never been open because you shut that door. Open, shut that door. Shut that door. What happens in this house stays in this house. That's what I was saying. Amen. So today you're sober. I know you were addicted to drugs. You were addicted to alcohol. So how do you process those thoughts? Because certainly they still haunt you. Oh, my goodness. You deal with them one thought at a time. And as you begin, this is what I, what I, what I've, what God has given me to do. He's given me the instruction to go. What you do is you just simply get outside of you. You realize that you're not that important. You're not that important because if your life is that important, what about the 122,000 lives that are needing your story and needing your hope and needing your efforts and your transparency? What about them? Don't they matter? If you have, you know, you have the ability to take a breath every day, every morning, and that's something that I took advantage of. I didn't realize how valuable a day was. Hmm. And then God allowed me to see the value in the day. And when I realized that I was in it, then I had to go and find that person who realized that who didn't get to count this day as valuable and give them valuable in their day through my journey, through my story, through my support, whatever it was that they needed. And when I began to pour myself out and get outside of me and realize I'm finally sick of me, worrying about me and what I can do for me. God gave me freedom. He gave me freedom when he showed me that Jesus laid his life down for us and that I was to do the same. And So in what ways are you helping those other people in your area? You're in Arizona, correct? Correct. Correct. So what's your motivation today for helping those suffering and abuse and addiction such as you such as you were? My motivation today is because by his grace I'm still preserved to be able to raise hope and to carry our favorite <laughs> our <laughs> favorite Bible verse to the nations. And to the people, and you just saw that right here, right in your own communities. I mean, the world could be the next door neighbor. You just never know what a person is going through until you extend yourself out there to show them that it's okay. I go through those things too. 
People feel alone. People feel like they're suffering alone. And when you expound and give yourself out, so that's what I do today. I I extend myself in my community. I'm active in my church. I actually talk outside of my church because a lot of the lost people are at the Mm -hmm. grocery stores, are at the 7-Elevens. You know, they're at the gas stations or they're hanging Mm -hmm. out with a sign that says they'll work for food. Those are the people that we need to reach. Exactly. For sure. I want to really thank you for, number one, reaching out to the show to share your story. I'm sure someone, um, many people, were touched by how you turned your tragedy into triumph. Are there any closing words or pieces of advice you want to share with the audience? I would. I would just simply let them please understand that the hope is in Jesus. He is the only, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one will go to the Father except by him. So just come. Just come to the, the understanding that you have to be accountable for your own actions. There's a point of responsibility in, it's in you. And that the, the world will change when you decide to change something about yourself. Just one little thing at a time and just keep holding on and pass on the words of hope because hope is alive and God is real. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it.